hello, 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 and welcome to my podcast, That Show Fuck Me Up. It is I, the beautiful, the talented, the funny, your host, Mariel Vizcarra. Cue in the applause. Yo, we finally made it. We made it to episode 10 of The Haunting of Hill House. Wow, what a fucking journey, yo. This is my first season, my first season as a podcaster. So I've been doing things blind in the dark, uh, like Theo was when she couldn't feel anything. Ah, but I'm... (laughs) But I've been doing this thing, this project by myself. Just, you know, recording, editing, social media, blah, 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 etc. And we're almost done with season one. Wow, time passes by so fucking fast. But honestly, I am really excited about where this journey is going to take me. I've already started thinking about what season two is going to look like. Don't ask me yet. It's a surprise. uh, And I want you to be surprised. Maybe you know. If you know me, maybe you know what show I'm thinking of. But I feel like it's going to be fun. It's going to be like a... It's going to be so different than this one, but at the same time, it's just as fucked up. You know, that's what we like here. We like shit that fuck us up. And all of you listeners, you do too. Stop stop fighting it. Embrace it. Embrace the fucked upness of it all. Because that's what we do here. So, yeah. Any updates? Let's see. Mm, not really, yo. There's not really any updates at this time. Just, you know... Just doing the notes for this episode was, it was tough. Literally, I was sobbing in some parts where I had to stop and take a little breather and like relax a bit, pause, finish my notes up and then start again because wow, I don't know. I don't know. I've watched this show and I know I mentioned this like a thousand times already, but I've watched this show so many times. And it makes me cry still. Not as bad as the first time I watched it. I think the first time I watched the whole uh, show and I finished the last episode, I was wrecked. I think I I was sad for like the whole week after. But it, it was, it was <sighs> this show, man. This show just is, it's, it has a place very near and dear to my heart. And Mike Flanagan is just a fucking genius. Uh, there I said it. Uh, he he has a way of like creating stories that terrify the shit out of you, but also like like it makes you feel things. It hits you in all the feels. And you know, Mike Flanagan, my respects to you. Hopefully one day I can create stories just as good as the ones that you've been putting out in the world. What? That's the goal. That's the goal. I honestly, I write plays and I was thinking the other day, like, I want to I wanna write a play that scares the shit out of people. Like, I want people to go to the theater, you know, bougie, all dressed up, like, ooh, let's go watch a play or whatever. And they get to see my play and then they leave the theater fucked up because they were so scared but by the story but also the story has to have okay how do i say this 
the horror within it all has to have a story, you know? It has to have a plot. It has to have love and all the feelings. So that's the kind of stories I want to create in my in my life. I went off on a tangent here, but you know what I mean. You know what I mean. And actually, Mike Flanagan just released his new show on Netflix, Midnight Mass. Please, no fucking spoilers. No spoilers here, even though this... <laughs> Even though this like whole podcast is just like retelling episodes, so I guess we're just we just create spoilers ourselves. But I don't want no midnight mass spoilers because I want to actually sit down and enjoy the whole show and be surprised and be fucked up because I've seen some of the reviews and oh my god, I think this is a uh, probably one of Mike Flanagan's best work. And if I already loved his previous work, imagine how I'm gonna feel after watching it. I think this is a a project that is very close and dear to his heart from what I've heard like in interviews and stuff like that 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 uh you know it's more of his personal life and not like stories that he's adapted into shows so I'm very excited about being able to watch this show I heard that there's a lot of good shows coming up and coming out and I'm really excited to watch them all I haven't been able to catch up with the shows that I'm currently watching because I've been so busy work, the podcast, I've been doing some play stuff with my playwriting group, Paletra, shout out to Paletras, we're creating a Day of the Dead, Dia de los Muertos show, but you know, COVID time, so we're filming that, but I wrote one of the plays and it got produced, I'm so excited to see it, uh, like, bring it to life and see it all in action, I'm also acting in two of the plays so i'll give you more information as you know the show is released because it will be made available online and if you could support that would be great i would really appreciate it you know i'm out here working my nine to five but just still trying to do the things that i love because one day i hope that i could actually just do the things that that i love and get paid for it that's the fucking goal you know I really, (laughs) you know, for Labor Day, the meme always comes up that it's just like, oh, you know, what, what's your dream job? And then like someone answers like, oh, I don't dream of labor. (laughs) So yeah, this wouldn't be a job. This would just be my passion. And imagine getting paid for something that you're passionate about. That would just be amazing. I, I'm, you know, that's the goal. I'm putting it out into the world. I'm manifesting it because that's what I want one day. And actually, when I first, uh, when I got paid for my first plate that was actually called uh, Diosito Lindo, and it was uh, uh, produced by Tuyo Theater in San Diego, they paid me $50 for my plate, and I framed it. And it's framed, but $50. And then uh, I did another project, and I I got paid $100. And I framed that as well. And it's, you know, it's just putting it out there because this is important. Getting paid for your work as an artist, as a creative, as a writer, it is important and it feels so good. Like the acknowledgement of people just seeing your work and being like, wow, that's really good. It, it just makes my heart feel all warm and fuzzy. But you know what? <laughs> I think I just went on on a huge fucking tangent. Um, what am I watching right now? All over on our like recommendation segment. 
I'm like watching Bones, but it's just like a guilty pleasure that I watch when I'm like working and it's just like background noise. I mean, the show is really good. I love like those type of shows where they like solve crimes, you know, Law and Order, Criminal Minds, Bones, like that's my shit. That's my shit. But on the other hand, I'm still watching American Horror Story, still watching uh, Nine Perfect Strangers, uh, Only Murders in the Building, which I've already talked about all these shows. I haven't caught up with the latest episodes because, you know, busy, 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 like always. But hopefully I could get caught up soon. They did recommend me the show Clickbait on uh, Netflix, and they told me that it's really, really good. So I'm excited about actually watching that show. And, you know, maybe I'll, it'll be in our in our list of shows that we will cover in this podcast. So yeah, that's my life right now, but I think it's enough with my life. Let's get started with this last episode, and it's a long one, so bear with me. A lot of shit goes down, a lot of feelings, a lot of sad shit, but also a lot of answers. Oh, uh, but also a lot of questions are answered, and yes, we get we get some type of closure, so let's get started. Episode 10. Silence lay steadily. Cold open. Baby Shirley is climbing up the stairs of Hill House towards the Red Room. She tells Nellie that she has got the key and that Mr. Dudley says that it is a master key and that it should open any door in the house. Nellie starts fantasizing about what is in there and says, what if there's a cotton candy machine or a pony? Shirley, being her Shirley self, tells her that a pony is not in there. Shirley rattles the door, and then it cuts to baby Theo inside her dance room in Hill House, and she notices the door to the room is rattling. Cut back to Nellie, and she wants to know why it couldn't be a pony, and that she saw a shadow under the door. And Shirley's still trying to open the door. We then see Theo slowly approaching the door of her dance room, and she just yells out, Hello? Shirley gives up trying to open the door and she hits it. Cuts back to Theo and she's startled because she hears that hard pounding in the, at the door and she looks under the door and sees that no one's feet are under there. Cuts back to Shirley and Nellie and Shirley tells Nell that she also wants to see what is in there and then they run back downstairs and the camera is still pointing at the door and we see that there's a shadow under it as if there's someone standing on the other side. Then we see Theo and she she just yells out that it's not funny. The credits roll in. Stephen is writing in his laptop, and the only thing he has written is, I am home. He goes over to his fridge, and Lee walks in, and Stephen wants to know how it went, and she tells him that it was fine, and that the boys are huge. Whose boys? I don't know. Lee tells him that he was missed, and Stephen lets her know that he was going to cook, uh, but Lee responds that she wants fries and grabs her stomach. Lee is pregnant. Lee asks how Stephen's writing is going and he tells her that it is going pretty slow. And she just wants to know how much work he got done while she was away and he answers only two pages. He starts going on that this is a, the same reason why he always said he was never going to do a follow-up for Hill House. Lee tells him that, the, that eating is the best cure for writer's block and she asks him to read him something. This is what he reads, and I quote, Certainly, there are places which attach themselves an atmosphere of holiness and goodness. 
it might also be said that some houses are born back. Lee wants to know why he chose the words born back. And then she asks him where he is at. Stephen responds that he's in the part where him and his dad just got to Hill House and they know that Luke bought gasoline and they're about to go inside. Lee feels bad for Stephen and lets him know that she, he doesn't have to do it and that he said it himself that he was never going to publish that book. Stephen argues that he does have to write it, to see it, to really see it. Lee grabs Stephen's hand and puts it in her stomach and tells him that the little girl inside of her is getting ready to join their family and that one day she's going to ask about her grandfather and about her uncle Luke and what happened in that house and that she's going to hear a bunch of speculation and stories about what happened in Hill House just like Stephen did when he was little. And then Lee asks Stephen, but whose voice did you need? Whose story did you need to hear the most? She needs to hear it from you. Then she answered with, this is for little Eleanor. We see Stephen back in his computer and Lee is sitting in the couch next to him reading a book. And Stephen finally begins writing. He talks about how Hill House, who seems to have formed itself, was a house without, without kindness. And as he's talking, we get a shot of Hugh and Stephen getting to Hill House. Stephen's voice continues over a shot of them walking towards the house. And he says, the house was never meant to be lived in. Not a fit place for people or for love or for hope. Stephen and Hugh walk inside of Hill House and Hugh asks Stephen if he smells that. And Stephen responds that it is the smell of gasoline. Hugh just says, if he is here, I think I know where to find him. Then they hear a loud banging sound which makes them stop right in their tracks. Stephen just asks, back? And Hugh lets him know that it is okay and to follow him. Hugh turns a corner, and when Stephen looks back, he sees the tall man with the hat and the cane just staring at him. Stephen sees his third ghost. Stephen looks away and starts walking towards the direction his dad went in, but he is looking down at the floor. Hugh stops him, and they see the ghost of Abigail just sitting by the stairs that lead up to the red room. She's just sitting in the steps and looks at them through the railing. They hear someone walking towards them, and then we see the tall man. Stephen and Hugh have their back to them to it, but they know it's right there. The tall man ghost is right next to them, and Hugh stares at it, and Stephen glimpses at it, but then Hugh tells Stephen to just look directly at him and not to look at the ghost. We get a close-up of Stephen's face staring at Hugh, and then the tall man bends down to be leveled with Stephen's face. The tall man and Stephen are face to face, but Stephen is focusing in, uh, in Hugh's face that, this whole time. And let me tell you, the tall man is the stuff of, of nightmares. This fool is tall as fuck, slenderman tall, unnecessarily tall, which makes me super uneasy. We get back to hearing Stephen's voice as the voiceover as he, he was writing in his laptop, and he says, fear. Hugh tells Stephen once again to just keep looking at him, and then Stephen's voiceover says, Fear is the relinquishment of logic, the willing relinquishing of reasonable patterns. We yield to it, or we fight it, but we cannot meet it halfway. And as he says the last line, the, the tall ghost man finally pulls his face away from Stephen's, and we hear the cane sound faintly tapping away. 
Hugh looks over at the stairs and the ghost of Ab Abigail is gone and he gives Stephen the signal that it is okay to continue. And we see Hugh run up the stairs and then Stephen's voiceover says, I am home. I am home, I thought. I thought and stopped in wonder at the thought, I am home, I am home, I am home. Now to climb. We see Hugh knocking at the red door room and yelling out Luke's name. And Stephen just tell his dad that the door has always been locked. Hugh lets him know that only when it wants to be. Stephen tells him to take off the hinges and ask how hard can it be. And Hugh lets him know that he has tried everything and that maybe with the two of them, they can open it. Hugh has his back to Stephen, but Stephen turns around and the red door room is open. And Luke is inside in the floor reaching out to him. Stephen walks inside the red room and calls out for his dad. And just as Hugh turns around, the door closes. Stephen is now locked inside the red room. Then we see Stephen close his computer. Lee asks him if he's okay and Stephen responds that he just needs a break. And Lee asks why he doesn't go to bed and that Hill House will be there in the morning. Lee tells him that it's hard and that it's too much right now to go to bed and leave the ghosts where they belong. Stephen tells her that that is not the problem. Lee asks where he is again and Stephen tells her that he's, he's in the red room and how the door closed, but that he saw Luke in there and Lee just says, Luke died. Stephen just stares at her and says, no, he was alive on the floor and the door closed and, and Lee cuts him, cuts him off again and says, and then he died. Lee says that Stephen needs to finally say it out loud. Stephen just goes on and says, that's the problem. The door closed and I can't say what happened. Lee just responds that it's still too soon and for him to go to bed. Stephen again says that he can't remember what happened after the door closed. And he can't remember getting out of the house or going back to California. He can't even remember them reconcile them like he and Lee reconciling or finding out that Lee was pregnant. Lee tells him that he can't remember because he hasn't written it yet. Stephen is confused by this statement, but Lee goes on. Is anything real before you write it, Stephen? Damn, as the writer, I felt this. <laughs> and, uh, okay, just letting you know, I'm going to quote the next monologue from Lee, probably word for word, so just bear with me. Lee then says, The thing is, the things you write about are real. Those people are real. Their feelings are real. Their pain is real. But not to you, is it? Not until you chew it up and you digest it and you shit it out on a piece of paper. And even then, it's a pale imitation at best. You take other people's lives and love and loss and pain and you eat it, Steve. You are an eater. You eat it and you shit it out and then, and only then, is it real for you. Normal people's lives are flesh and blood and muscle and bone, but not yours, darling. Oh no, your life is plastic. You are a plastic parasite. A plastic hack, aren't you, honey? So, of course, you don't remember how you healed our marriage or made her baby because you haven't really seen it, have you? You haven't shot it out in prose. I, I was always a supporting player in your story. If we're honest, I would feed you and fuck you and pay the bills while we squinted over some no novel that nobody was going to read or publish. But I paid you to write them, didn't I? I picked up the check for your dreams and I said goodbye to mine. And not even that is enough. Don't lie to me, honey. I wasn't real. If I was real, you never would have walked out that door. But I wasn't, and you did. And now this one. 
At this point, Lee pulls up her shirt and reveals her pregnant stomach. And Lee continues, this little one, she won't be real either. Lee's stomach has a black stain similar to the mold in the walls at Hill House. Her, her tummy starts moving and then she says, oh, she's kicking. Oh, she's hungry. She must be an eater like her dad. If she is, my love, if she eats me from the inside. And then Lee's face starts to turn gray as if the stain in her stomach is spreading to her face. And I burst like a blister. Will you lose your mind? Lee is now all gray and black and she looks up and asks, like your mother? Stephen is just staring at Lee in disbelief, and then we hear Nell's voice call out his name. Stephen turns around, and Nell is sitting right next to him, and she reaches over and touches him in the forehead. Stephen wakes up inside the red room in Hill House. Both Shirley and Theo are also inside the room, and they're passed out, leaning against the walls. Luke is in the floor, and he has a needle in his arm. Stephen goes over to Luke, and he's, he also has white foam in his mouth and Steven starts to do chest compressions on his baby brother. Cut back to Luke when he threw the lighter on, on the gasoline when he just got to Hill House, and he sees his mom at the top of the stairs, and then Poppy Hill grabs his head from behind. Cut to when Luke was walking barefoot after not being able to get Joey to, to go with him, and then him being a, him calling the, the rehab center and saying that he couldn't help her and that he fucked up, but that he didn't use and that he's cold and his arms are so stiff and that he just needs a bed or a couch or that he would even sleep on the goddamn floor. As he's on the phone, Joey walks up to him and then the next scene is him and Joey walking into a hotel room. Joey asks what he thinks of the room and tells Luke how it's the perfect place the perfect place to get clean for a few days and how the room is already paid and the room even has room service. Joey goes on to tell him that everyone has always given up on her her whole life, but that Luke never gave up on her and how he saved her. Luke says that he didn't and that she ran away with the money and that he never found her. And Joey explains that she left to go get them the hotel room and she reminds him that she found him by the payphone. Luke sits down next to Joey and Joey asks him, asks him why he followed her and how he never told her the real truth. And then she says, I think it's because you're sweet on me. Joey tells him that she has something for them and she brings out drugs. Joey tells him one last time, we have to get well before we get clean. And Luke reminds Joey that he is 90 days clean and he corrects himself, 92 actually. And Joey tells him that it is not really clean how he can 12-step in and collect all the chips that he wants, but that that is never really clean because one day that needle is going to end up in his arm. And Joey says, you have an appointment with that needle. You're expected. Luke says that that's not true, and jo Joey lets Luke know that Luke probably thinks that she used his money to buy drugs, and then she corrects herself. Steven's money, let's be real. And how Luke probably thinks that Joey shut up the money in some alley and maybe she died there. As she's saying this, she is wrapping an elastic around her arm. Joy continues, in the, in the puke and the piss and the alley rats are shooing on me right now. Little yellow, little yellow teeth punching through the jelly of my pretty eyes. She injects herself with the heroin, then says, God, that's good. Joey tells Luke to come with her and Luke says that he won't. And then Joey just replies, baby, you already did.
Luke looks down at his arm and there's a needle in his vein and he's bleeding. Luke starts to hyperventilate and Joey says, Gordon was right. If you look long enough at the wallpaper, you can see that little girl. It's the little girl with the runny egg eyes. Then Joey's eyes begin to melt down her face. Cuts back to look in the red room and the needle is still in his arm and he's struggling to breathe and he hears Stephen knocking on the door and sees Stephen walk in and when the door closes, Poppy is right there neck uh, behind Stephen and she touches Stephen's forehead. Hugh is trying to open the door and all of a sudden he gets disoriented and falls down. The next scene is Shirley and Theo getting to Hill House and they call Luke's name and Shirley yells out, Dad, and they hear Hugh respond. But was it really Hugh? Theo starts running up the stairs towards the red room and Shirley's walking after her slowly. She stops right before going up the stairs and turns around and sees the ghost of a man that haunts her. And the ghost raises his glass towards her and Shirley walks towards him. Theo gets to the top of the stairs and notices that Hugh is on the floor, passed out, and Theo yells after Shirley, but she sees her walking towards another room. And when she turns around to face her dad again, Poppy's standing in front of her and she touches Theo's forehead. Cut to Shirley in a crowded bar, and the bartender goes up to her and says this is for you, and hands her a drink. And Shirley lets him know that she did not order that, and he points to a man at the other end of the bar, and it's the man that haunts Shirley. Shirley just points to the ring on her finger, letting the guy know that she's married, and the guy seems pretty embarrassed. The bartender asks Shirley if he wants him to throw out the drink, and Shirley asks, what's the most random thing you have in the happy hour menu? Cut to the bartender carrying a plate to the guy that sent Shirley the drink, and the guy approaches Shirley and says, I was minding my own business over there, and Shirley cuts him in and tells him that she had to repay him for the drink. And he's like, oh, so you sent me a plate of, and Shirley just says, boneless Caribbean jerk wings, and the guy is like, serves me right for not spotting a ring from 10 yards away. The guy goes on to tell Shirley that he never really thought about it, but sending a drink to someone without their consent is considered socially acceptable, but sending someone an appetizer without their consent is pretty weird. Shirley tells him that she was just trying to be funny, and the guy asks if he can sit there while he eats his, wing, his wings. Shirley lets him know that he doesn't have to eat them and says that he does and that he swears to God that he will keep it professional. That they can chat about embalming techniques, uh, so it's a mortician conference, and Shirley just lets him know that there will be no funny no funny business, embalming only. And they stay till the bar closes and they're just talking about the hardships of starting their own businesses. The guy tells Shirley, well, I guess this is it. And Shirley's surprised that he stayed true to his word about no funny business. And Shirley tells him that he was very well behaved. However, he asks if she wants a nightcap in his room and then Shirley just stares at his ring finger and he says, I did really good until the end there, huh? just implying that there was no funny business till the bar closed, and now he's inviting a married woman into his room for a nightcap. And the girls, gays, and theys know, we all know, that if a man invites you over to his hotel room for a drink or a nightcap, it does not mean that it's only going to be that. Shirley agrees that he did do really good and that he's such a guy. Shirley tells him that she enjoyed the conversation, that, that it was really nice meeting him, but it's time to say goodnight. And the man gets up from the bar and walks away, and Shirley stays sitting down. After a few seconds, the man comes back and says, that's not what you said, though. 
that Shirley said that she wanted to see what kind of martini he made and that they walked out of the bar together and crossed the lobby and into the elevator and that they had that martini. And then the man asked, how old was Jaden then? Six? And Allie was two. He continues, it had been diapers and bills for years and the business was finally out of the red, meaning that they were finally getting some type of profit and how both of their lives were loud and hungry too how the bills were screaming and, and the children were screaming and how Kevin just drip, drifted his focus from Shirley. Trinkled out of focus and how Shirley was so far away from home in a long time and looked at his wedding room so she knew that he was also married. Shirley says that it was gross how he was married and how he was pushy and the guy interrupts and says, don't lie. He says that him being married is what close the deal because the ring meant that he had as much to lose as she did and how it was all calculation. That it was just a fling and people have them all the time, except Shirley. And who would have known that she would be so good at it? At this point, Shirley's in the verge of tears and the guy says that Shirley got dressed and went home and acted as if nothing happened. He says that she got away with it. Shirley begins to cry and says that she's a good wife and a good mother, a good person, and how she could never do it again. But the man responds, but you never told anyone, did you? And Shirley just says, fuck you. The guy calls Shirley a hypocrite for being so angry at Kevin and Theo, and she says, fuck you again. How she's so guilty that she just decided never to look at it. Cut to Shirley being in the room where Olivia's service was was held and then the mortician that walked her down to see her mom appears next to her and asks if everything's all right. Then Kevin is on her other side and he replies to the mortician that Shirley's just a little overwhelmed. Kevin goes on, she knows something most people don't. The instant someone dies, they learn everything, every secret thing. And when I die and wake up in that hotel room, I'm gonna have to watch every single thing she did. And that scares her so bad and hopes she will die first. The mortician tells Shirley that it is all right. And he starts walking Shirley towards the coffin and says that he fixed her. And he explains all the things he did to her. And when they get in front of the coffin, Shirley's staring at her own self. The mortician tells Shirley again that he fixed her and made her look pretty on the outside, but that on the inside, she's a whore. She says... Yeah, we pickled it and painted, but at the end, it's still death and rot and ruin. But she is pretty, isn't she? The Shirley in the coffin sits up and faces Shirley and the mortician and grabs at her eyes, and then she distorts her own face. And Shirley's just staring at her in horror. And then we hear Nellie call Shirley's name, and then Shirley turns, and Nellie's right next to her. And Nellie grabs Shirley's face, and then she also wakes up in the red room, and Stephen is giving Luke chest compressions. Steven says that they need to get help, and Shirley says that this isn't real, that this is a dream. And Steven, for the very first time ever, iconic moment in Hill House history, finally says, it is real. And he follows, he follows it with, and he is dying. That gets Shirley to go over towards Luke and Steven. Steven is telling Luke to come on, and, and then we get a close-up of Theo's face as she's still passed out in the red room. And then we hear Trish, Trish's voice asking Theo, tell me something no one knows. And Theo responds that when she was a child, her mother spacked her for throwing a rock at the greenhouse room. 
and that she had been getting ready to show the green room to a client, but she couldn't anymore because of Theo throwing in the rock. And it was the only time in her life that her mother spanked her just once because that was all that she could bear. Theo goes on to say that a simple rock through some glass taught her so much about her mother and how it taught her mother too. Theo says that she thought about it, the spanking and the sound of the rock going through the glass, and that after thinking about it for a long time, she went out and did it again. Theo starts putting on her gloves, and Trish asks her what it what that is all about. Theo's confused and tells Trish that she can't recall why she wears glove, gloves, and that she knows that there's a reason, but she can't remember. Trish goes up to her and starts kissing her shoulder, and then Theo grabs Trish's fist, Trish's face and says, I don't feel anything. Trish tells her that it's because she's normal. And then Trish asks what she was feeling before and Theo says that she felt fear and guilt. And Trish says, fear and guilt are sisters. I knew a man was that I knew a man once that knew those sisters well. They kissed his eyelids as he slept, and every morning he went a little more mad. So he built a wall to keep it all outside but those two sisters were in there with him. That silly, that silly man thought the wall would keep them out, but there was just enough room for him and them. So he was trapped behind the wall, afra afraid and guilt and his voice left him and he could only scratch and whimper. So he scratched until his scratches sounded like rats in a wall. He felt small, so small, but that was his dream. But when he woke, but when he woke up, he was tall, so tall, for always. Now we know the story behind the tall man. Trish kisses Theo and Theo tells her to wait. And Trish says, fear and guilt are sisters, Theodora. But when you wake up, they'll leave you be, for always. Theo tells her again to wait. But Trish says to just enjoy her, that she's only loving her as she begins to go down on her. But then we see a bunch of grayish hands start touching Theo. They begin grabbing at her neck and her face. And then Nellie appears right next to the bed and she reaches her hand towards, towards Theo and pulls her away from the hands. And then Theo wakes up gasping for air in the red room. And now Shirley is doing chest compressions on Luke. And Shirley says he has stopped breathing. Theo just responds, oh my god. Stephen tells Shirley to halt the compressions and he wipes the foam from Luke's mouth and gives him mouth to mouth and then tells her to resume again. Shirley tells Stephen to check his pulse and yells out, don't you fucking dare, Luke, don't you fucking dare. They stop and Luke is not moving and he just looks dead and Theo's holding back a sob. Cut to Luke waking up in the white in a white room and he's wearing a suit and, and Olivia, Abigail, and baby Nellie are there on a table about to have a tea party. Olivia says, sweetheart, you're awake. Oh, I've missed you so, so much. Luke asks where they are and Olivia lets him know that they're home and Luke's, Luke looks so happy. Olivia tells an anecdote of when she was a little girl and she was driving in a car with her mom and how they passed the house that was surrounded by red roses and that she fell in love with that house and with houses in general and how no one would ever find her there. She tells him about all the dreams she had and tells Luke that she almost named him Robin and that Hugh even agreed, but when he was born, he looked like a Luke. Olivia says, I almost forgot. 
your big boy hat and hands him the black hat that the tall man wears. And everyone else there is also wearing one, Abigail, Olivia, and Nellie. Olivia tells him that he needs to put it on because they're going to have a tea party with, with big boy hats and cups of stars and how she is so glad that he's finally there. Then Nellie turns to Luke and just says, go. And Olivia wants to know why she would say that since Luke just got there and Olivia tells Luke to have a seat and Nellie says, don't. Luke asks if he's dead and Olivia lets him know that he's awake and says that Luke was having such a bad dream. Luke begins to say, I'm sorry, mom, but Olivia cuts him up and says, don't apologize to me. It wasn't your fault. Never once. You were perfect. Luke is confused and just tells her that he wasn't perfect and that he isn't perfect. But Olivia reiterates that he is perfect and that the world is to blame and that he was fed to it and that that never should have happened. Olivia once again tells him to have a seat and Nellie says, don't go. Luke wants to know why baby Nellie keeps saying that and Olivia tries to grab his attention by telling him to look at her and how this tea party is a gift for them all. And Luke says that it isn't a gift if that means that he's dead and that he does not want to be dead. Olivia tells him that he wants, he wants to be there, but Luke disagrees. And Olivia just points to the red door and tells him that he has been knocking on that door for years and years and that they could all hear him knocking louder every time and says he's now finally there. And Luke starts to say that he has to get, and then Nellie once again says, don't. Adult ghost Nellie appears right next to Luke and grabs him by the hand and Olivia tries to grab onto him but then Luke wakes up in the red room, coughing. Stephen goes up to him and asks if he can hear them, and Luke points and says, she saved me. All the siblings look up at the same time, and Ghost Nellie is standing by the, red door, by the red room door. And this monologue is super complicated, so I'm probably just going to quote it word for word, so just a heads up. Nellie starts, I feel a little clearer just now. We have. All of us. I wouldn't change anything. I need you to know that. The rest is confetti. So many times, and we didn't know it. All of us. No, not a heart. A stomach. We have. All of us have. So many times, and we didn't know it. As she was saying this, uh, the siblings try to like get a word in, like called out her name. And Stephen just says that she probably can't hear them and how they need to get Luke to a hospital. They go up to the door and they're trying to find a way to open it. Stephen says that he doesn't get it. And Theo says that they, they tried get, to get into their room so many times and now they can't get the fuck out. Shirley's still sitting by, sitting by Luke's side and she says, I feel like I've been here before. Nellie responds, we have. All of us, huh? So many times and we didn't know, know it. All of us. I feel a bit clearer now. Everything has been out of order. Time, I mean. I thought for so long that time was like a line, that our moments were laid out like dominoes and that they fell one into another. And on it went, just days tipping one after the next in a long line between the beginning and the end. But I was wrong. It's not like that at all. Our, mom, our moments fall around us like rain, or snow, or confetti. You were right. We have been in this room so many times and we didn't know. All of us. 
Mom says that a house is like a body and that every house has eyes and bones and skin and a face. This room is like the heart of the house. No, not a heart, a stomach. It was your dance studio, Theo. It was my toy room. It was a reading room for mom, a game room for Steve, a family room for Shirley, a tree house, but it was always a red room. It put on a different phrase so that we would be still and quiet while it digested. I'm like a small creature swallowed whole by a monster. And the monster feels like tiny little movements inside. Nellie kneels down right by Luke and lets him know that he has to live. And Luke says, I don't know how to do this without you. Nellie says, I learned a secret. There is no without. I am not gone. I'm scattered into so many pieces, sprinkled in your life like new snow. They all gather around Luke and Nellie now. Nellie continues, there's so much I want to say to you all. Theo speaks up and says, I'm so sorry our last words were in anger. And Nellie tells her that they were in their last. Shirley tells Nellie that she's so sorry that she didn't answer her call. And Nellie reminds her that she did so many other times. Stephen begins to say that he's sorry he didn't listen, but Nellie lets him know that it would not have changed anything. I need you to know that. Nellie says, forgiveness is warm, like a tear in the cheek. Think of me, think of that and me when you stand in the rain. I loved you completely, and you loved me the same. That's all. The rest is confetti. Then... Nellie is gone. Cut back to Hugh waking up outside the red room, and he reaches over for his pills and swallows one. He throws the pills down at the floor, and they, they land in front of some ghostly feet. The camera pans up, and we see the ghost of Poppy Hill le leaning towards him. She says, the first was young Miss Gretton. She tried not to let him in. He stabbed her with a corn knife. That's how his crimes begin. The next was Grandma Gratton, so old and tired and gray. She fit of her attacker until his strength gave away. The next was Grandpa Gratton, a sudden by the fire. He came up close behind him and strangled him with wire. The last was Baby Gratton, all up on his trundle bed. He stove him in the short rib until the child was dead. And then he spit tobacco juice all on his golden head. Dude, this scene is so creepy because Poppy just starts getting closer and closer to Hugh's face and, and Hugh looks like he's frozen, like terrified. But then uh, then we hear Olivia say, stay away. Poppy pulls away from Hugh and walks towards Olivia and says, he's just too cute, Liv. And to forgive a girl for being lonely, nothing is sadder than a cold bed. But all those wedding beds go cold, don't they, loves? And then just Poppy walks away. Olivia tells Hugh, journeys end in lover's meeting. I have spent an all but sleepless night. I have told lies and made a fool of myself, and the very air tastes like wine. And then she says with great joy, everyone is home. Olivia tells Hugh that he has changed so much, and she reaches over and stares at the pill bottle, and Hugh tells her that it's for his heart. And she asks Hugh how long it's been since he was here. Hugh responds, longer than I intended to. It was too hard to see you here, this way, but I still had you with me. Olivia tells him that it wasn't her, that it was just him and his imagination. 
Olivia wants to know what he was doing all this time, and Hugh looks over to the red room door and lets Olivia know that he was holding that door closed. I had my back against it and my arms out wide, he says, because I knew there were monsters on the other side that they and that they wanted what was left of our family. And I held it so hard that I didn't have arms left for my for the kids the and the monsters got through anyway. Olivia responds that that is what monsters do, but not here. Hugh tells her that especially here. Olivia tells him that monsters are out there, out in the world, and how they're out there and they're all inside and how the children are finally safe. Hugh just responds that they're not, that they're dying. Olivia says that they're waking and how Hugh kept them away from her. And he says that it was to keep them safe and how he kept them from the truth. And Hugh just responds to keep you safe, their image of you. Olivia says that she woke up at the foot of the stairs and how she started walking and how there were no more headaches, no more pain, and how she would dream as she walked and how she dreamt of Hugh and the children's laughter. And then she remembered that he took them from her and that he hurt them and that they suffered. Hugh agrees that they did suffer, that they still do, but that even if they're broken or addicted or joyless, and even if they die, that them as parents have to watch it all because that is what parents do and how that is the deal you make when you have children. You just have to bear witness to their actions. Olivia says that it's a horror. And Hugh lets her know that, that it doesn't have to be. And he tells Olivia that he saw their daughter dance at her wedding. And, she, and he saw her smile bright and that it reflected in everyone's faces and that he recognized that light because it was theirs. Olivia and Hugh's. Hugh says, we did that. We loved each other so well that it spread out into the universe and that it created a new star. Olivia shakes her head and just says, stars die, as she walks away from Hugh and continues, the sky is full of dead stars. They explode to death. And if you could reach up with some great hand and pull them down just before they, they burst, you would. And Hugh agrees again that he would. Olivia continues and says that Hill House was their forever house and that no nothing bad will ever touch them again. And Hugh sternly responds, nothing good will either. Open that door. I know you can. I know you can open that door. I know you love the people in that room more than anything. Olivia tells him that she won't let him take them away from her again and that, that they will die out there. Hugh says that they'll die if they stay at Hill House and that they're currently dying inside that room. And that Olivia always said that their job as parents was to send, send them sailing out into the world. And he just ends that sentence with, let them go. Olivia yells out that if she lets them go, she will be alone again. Hugh embraces her and says that if it wasn't for their kids, he would have laid down right beside her and followed her right into the darkness. But that those kids in that room, that they kept him from doing that. Hugh says, if you open that door, I will make a promise to you that I will keep forever. And he answered with, let me fix this. Journeys end. And Olivia finishes the sentence with, lovers meeting. Hugh reminds Olivia that she had that engra engraved in his watch. And Olivia says that she was wrong because journeys don't end when you love someone. They embrace at this point. Cut back to Luke inside the Red Room, and he's saying, Once upon a time, the world was just play, and all we had, the five of us, and all we had was play. 
Luke is struggling to breathe, so he's struggling as he speaks, and Stephen is just telling Luke to stay with them, and the red door suddenly opens, and in walks Hugh. They all stare at their father in awe. Cut to them walking out of the room, and Shirley saying to start the car, and asking if Luke is breathing, and Stephen and Hugh are helping uh, carry Luke. Luke needs to stop, and out of the corner of his eyes, Stephen sees something, and he turns to stare at Hugh, and Hugh just stares back to him as if saying, not right now. We see Luke is now in the car, and Stephen is helping him put his seatbelt on. Shirley lets them know that the, close, that the closest hospital is Sacred Heart, and, and Theo is saying that she can navigate, and then they ask if Hugh and Stephen are coming with them. Hugh tells them to go ahead since there is one last thing that him and Stephen need to do at Hill House, and Shirley just tell them that they'll see them at the hospital. Theo, Shirley, and Luke, Luke drive away, and Hugh and Stephen just stare at the car as it leaves, and Hugh says, probably best that you didn't say anything to them. Then we see Hugh and Stephen walking back towards the house, and Stephen wants to know what he just saw, and Hugh just turns towards him, and then they see a car approaching and it's young Hugh, and he walks right past uh, old Hugh and Stephen. Young Hugh calls out Olivia's name, and he turns on a light, and then he sees Olivia, he runs towards her and gives out a horrible scream. Stephen walks towards the scene of young Hugh embracing Olivia's lifeless body as he is crying. Older Hugh stays in the other room, and I think it's too much for him to experience this scene again. Young Hugh looks up and asks what happened, and Stephen thinks that he's talking to him, but he doesn't respond. Young Hugh asks, why are you here, and did you see? Stephen just shakes his head, and Hugh yells out again, what happened? And Stephen is about to respond, but we see Mrs. Dudley behind him, and she says, I, I don't know, we were looking for. And then Mr. Dudley walks in as well, and they're just staring at Hugh holding Olivia. Young Hugh just says that he can fix it, and Mr. Dudley tries to get him to put Olivia's body down, and Hugh just keeps mumbling over and over again that he can fix this. And Mr. Dudley reaches out to him, but Hugh swats his hand away, and Mr. Dudley lets him know that he can't fix it. Then Hugh asks, why is, why is this happening? Why are you here? And Mr. Dudley says that they need to get help and call the police, and Hugh asks them again why they are there, and Mr. Dudley says the most heartbreaking words. Our daughter snuck out of a vent tonight, and we thought maybe. This is the moment that Hugh realizes that their daughter is Abigail. Cut to Mrs. Dudley and Mr. Dudley seeing their daughter's lifeless body inside the red room, and Mrs. Dudley just keeps saying no, 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 over and over again as she holds Ab Abigail in her arms. Young Hugh just stares at them, and old Hugh just says, both of their children, all of their children, as Mrs. Dudley continues to sob. Mrs. Mr. Dudley says, she wasn't in her bed. Hugh responds, I didn't know. And then ghost Abigail says, mommy. And then they're all shocked. And Mrs. Dudley says, Abby, Abby, and rushes towards her. Both Mr. and Mrs. Dudley are right by ghost Abigail's side. And Mrs. Dudley asks her who hurt her. And Abigail just points towards Olivia's body on the floor below. Young Hugh walks towards where Olivia's body is and goes to Olivia standing next to her dead body. And she just says, honey, I'm having the strangest dream as she wanders off. We see Mrs. Dudley just hugging and comforting ghost Abigail. And Mr. Dudley and Young Hugh are just staring at them. 
And Hugh says, I'm going to burn this house to the ground and stand over it and make sure that every room, every wall, every splinter is immolated. Burn this house and its hills to the dirt. Then I'll salt the earth. Mr. Mrs. Dudley says, you won't. And then turns to Mr. Dudley and tells him, Horace, he can't. She is still here. Mr. Dudley tells you that he will carry Abigail's body back into the woods and he will bury her by the cottage by the garden that she loved. And when she is buried and it's done, we'll say nothing. You understand you, he says, we'll say nothing. She barely left the house her whole life. We kept, we kept her out of the world to keep her safe. And we're the only ones who, who would even know to mourn her. We won't say anything about Olivia. And Mrs. Dudley agrees. Hugh just says that wasn't her and Mrs. Dudley lets him know that they know that and Mr. Dudley says that they know what really happened here tonight and your kids don't need to hear anything else and they will remember the mo their mother the only way that she truly was and we can protect that for you if and Hugh says if what Mrs. Dudley just says that only if he keeps the house to close its gates and never let another soul in Mrs. Dudley says let it starve Keep the house so that I can continue to see Abigail. Mr. Dudley goes on, this house is full of precious, precious things, and they, they don't all belong to you. Oof, this line, man. Hugh tells them that it could be dangerous for both of them, and Mrs. Dudley says that she doesn't care and that she is her mother and she won't leave Abigail in the house alone. Mr. Dudley begs you to let the house be, and Hugh finally agrees with a shake of a hand. Stephen and older Hugh have been witnessing this whole scene. And Stephen just says, you should have told me. And Hugh responds that some things can't be told. You live them or you don't, but they can't be told. Then the camera pants down to the ground, and older Hugh is dead, right next to his pills for the heart. Hugh just says, I'm sorry. But Stephen is the one that apologizes to him. Hugh says, this is all yours now, the house and the promise. I want you to know you and your sisters and your brother were the best part of my, of my, never been proud of anything, anything ever. Take care of each other and be kind to each other, if nothing else. Stephen had been talking to older Hugh and now we're seeing young Hugh. Hugh continues, I was so lucky to be your dad. And he walks towards the red room and embraces Olivia and Nellie in a hug and the door closes behind them. Woo! Oh my God. I have tears rolling down my face. Like, oh. I'm so emotional. This scene brings out all the feels, but we're still not done yet. So let's continue. Stephen begins walking towards the door of Hill House, and he walks past all of the ghosts that live in Hill House, but he doesn't look at them. He just keeps walking. He stops right by the door, takes a second, then exits. Cut to Luke waking up in the hospital, and his brother and, his brother and sisters are there, and they walk towards him. Then we hear Stephen's voice saying, I am home. I am home, I thought, and I stopped and wondered at that thought. I am home. I am home. As he stands outside him and Lee's house. Lee and Stephen are sitting down in the living room and the narrator says, now to climb.
Stephen tells Lee that he he has been so wrong about so much. I've lived with ghosts since I was a kid, since before I knew they were ghosts. Ghosts are guilt. Ghosts are secret. Ghosts are regrets and failings, but most time a ghost is a wish. Like a marriage is a wish. A wish. A marriage can be like a house, and I let that happen to us. I am so sorry, Lee. Towards the end of that monologue, the scene switched to Shirley and Kevin sitting next to each other, and right as the monologue ends, Kevin says, you're scaring me. Shirley tells Kevin that she has something to tell him and that she will, but she he needs to promise and remember that she loves him when she tells him this thing. Shirley says, I'm asking you to love me hard for the next few minutes, and it might be the hardest that you've ever had to love me, but I know it will be okay because it is us. So I'm going to jump, and I'm asking you to hold my hand while I'm fall falling, okay? Kevin agrees and reaches over to hold her hand. Shirley tells him about the man in the conference in Chicago. We're back to hearing Stephen's voice. I wish I had loved you better and let you see me clearly without disguise. I wish I had been a better husband. I wish I had been a better son. I wish I had been a better lover. Lee wants to know what, what Stephen means and Stephen lets her know that he built a wall around his, a big part of his life and he hid behind that wall and he thought that it would keep him safe, but walls don't work that way. Cut to Theo and Trish, and Trish is helping Theo move out of Shirley's guest house, and Theo approaches the trash in the middle of the room and throws her gloves in there before she leaves with Trish. Cut back to Lee and Steven, and Steven tells her that his only wish right now is to come home, and Lee goes over and hugs him, and Steven just mumbles, I just want to fix this. This next scene is so hard, y'all. I'm crying. Oh, can you hear my voice? <laughs> I try to mask my crying with laughing. So please bear with me as I go through this next scene. <sighs> okay, here we go. We see Mr. Dudley carrying Mrs. Dudley to Hill House. They both look older and their hair is white. Oh! Mr. Dudley sets her down in the floor of the house and tells her that they made it and then he looks up and young Mrs. Dudley is carrying a newborn and she gives ghost Abigail a kiss. She made it and she finally gets to be with her kids. Oh my god that sounds so ugly. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry that was the toughest scene. Okay I think I'll be better for the next ones. Next scene is Luke sitting in front of a cake and he's surrounded by all his loved ones and he blows out a candle and they all clap and begin to cut the cake. The last few scenes are shots of Hill House as Stephen's voice narrates. Stephen as the narrator goes on. The willing relinquishment of reasonable patterns. We yield to it, to it or we fight it, but we cannot meet it halfway. Without it, we cannot continue for long to exist sanely in conditions of absolute reality. Hill House, not sane, stands against its hills holding darkness within. It has stood so for a hundred years and it will stand for a hundred more. Within walls continue upright, bricks meet neatly, floors are firm, and doors are sensibly shut. Silence lay steadily against the wood and the stone of Hill House, and those who walk there walk together. End of the episode, end of the show.
Now do you get why this is one of my favorite fucking shows? Now do you get it? Now you understand why I started my podcast with this show, The Haunting of Hill House? Fucking God. <sighs> Shit, dude. I need to recover from those last few scenes. I think I'm probably going to be depressed for the next week or so. But, you know, I can't afford to be depressed because I got to start working on the next episode. Yes, there will be a next episode where we will wrap up The Haunting of Hill House. It will be our little debrief episode. Wow. What a fucking journey. We got through the 10 episodes of The Haunting of Hill House. It seems just like yesterday when I started working on this project. And it seems just like a few hours ago when I released the first episode. But we've made it. And oh, what a journey it's been. And I know I keep repeating that it's been a journey. I know. I know. Don't send me a message about it. Well, I mean, you can if you want to. I mean. But I'm not going to apologize for the shit that I do. But, bro. Damn. Okay, I read somewhere that, you know, the last episode is just, like, too much information. And it kind of it gets jumbled together. But I don't know. I have a different opinion about it because this this answered so many fucking questions, yo. And it makes my sentimental-ass heart really happy and sad at the same time. But still, it's it's an uplifting end. And I'm not, you know, I'm not a sucker for happy endings. I guess this is like a neutral ending. I wouldn't say it was a like super happy one because well my boy Hugh my boy Hugh I'm telling you I'm telling you I told you this in episode 8 and probably in episode 9 I don't remember and I will tell you this on episode 10 everything that Hugh Crane did was to protect his children and not only that it was to protect the image that his children had of their mother (sighs) fucking Hill House dude I saw <laughs> I saw a tweet that said the real villain of Hill House and it's the realtor that sold that sold them the house. Fuck that bitch too. She probably knew. She probably knew the house was fucking haunted and she just said, you know what? These motherfuckers are gonna pay are gonna pay for it. I'll get my cut and I'll just go on to live a happy life. But the, the harm the harm that that decision of selling Hill House was to this family, to the cranes, to the crazy cranes. Because, look, even the policeman on that, um, was it the tutorial? No, it was the eulogy episode. When they found the other body in the basement of William Hill, where he had, like, bricked himself in, uh, the police guy's like, oh, is the house really haunted, you know? So there's stories. Everyone knew. Everyone fucking knew. But the crazy cranes. And a lot of hurt could have been avoided but then if she hadn't sold them the house we wouldn't have this amazing heart-wrenching story that i love so so fucking much i feel like a lot of our questions were answered in this episode but damn i still got that bittersweet feeling in my mouth but let's go right into our segments Uh, Let's start with that shit's traumatizing, as we always do, as we've done since this segment started. (laughs) I don't know why I said that. But 
For the last episode of The Haunting of Hill House, the most traumatizing part was the Dudleys seeing their daughter dead on the floor and everything that came after that. Think about it for a second. You have sheltered your daughter her whole life, homeschooled her, kept her home, always at an arm's reach, all her short life. And then you wake up in the middle of the night one day and she isn't in bed. And you go out to look for her and you end up in the most terrifying place, you know, Hill House. Because the Dudley saw the witness marks. They knew what the house could do. Mrs. Dudley said it herself on episode seven that the only reason she agreed to help the Cranes was because she knew they were a family with little ones, just like her daughter, and that she needed to be there to keep an eye out. And then her own little one gets taken away by Hill, by the, by this place, this horrible fucking place. I think that anyone that ever came in contact with Hill House was like you called it an unfinished meal for this house. Everyone, even the Dudleys. Even when they set their boundaries and said that they weren't going to go after when it got dark and they were only going to be there during the day. Even when they set those boundaries, their little girl, their Abigail, their Abby, made her way back to the house and it took her. Just like the house took their firstborn. Also, seeing all the scenes of the siblings experiencing their worst nightmares... Luke with a needle in his arm, seeing Joey as the girl with the runny egg eyes. Theo being touched by a bunch of hands of, like, dead ghost people. Imagine how she felt, like, she felt when she touched Nellie's body, but multiplied by, like, all the different hands that touched her. Shirley coming to terms with cheating on her husband, and that when he dies, he will know what she did. Everything that she did in that hotel room. Steven. <sighs> Steven writing that both... Both Hugh and Luke died in Hill House, and Lee carrying a baby that is poisoned, just like he thinks he is. Wow, but, and, <laughs> yes, let's just move on to our That Shit's Heartwarming segment. Nellie telling her siblings that she wouldn't change anything about what happened. Oh, my God. Yeah, Nellie loved her siblings so, so much, regardless of their faults and regardless of how they treated her at times. She adored them, and she she lets them know that she wouldn't change anything, and that means her dying, you know? She, she says she wouldn't change her dying because that means that her siblings would be safe. And like we saw in episode 5, she only cared about her siblings' well-being, never her own. She always wanted to know that they were safe. She always wrote about them when she wrote her letters to her dad. When she was little, she wrote letters to Santa Claus, not, not asking for gifts for herself. Oh, no, it was only gifts for her siblings that would make them happy. And, you know, she had to, if she had to die so that they could have their happy ending... I think that's what she meant, that she wouldn't change anything because she had a good life. She got to meet the love of her life and she got to be reunited with her mom once she died. And I also want to point out that the reason that she said that she wouldn't change anything was because if she hadn't died, she wouldn't have been able to protect her siblings. And at Hill House, as a ghost, she was able to get them all out, out of their nightmares. Yes, they experienced them, but you remember how she would show up and just like touch them in the forehead and they would like come back. If she hadn't been there, 
they that wouldn't have happened. Like they would be in this nightmare for the rest of the time. And Olivia, Olivia knew that because she's like, yeah, they're they're finally they're gonna be awake soon. Like that's that was the purpose of the house to take them. Hopefully, I'm making sense. So if Nellie hadn't died she wouldn't have been able to save her siblings' lives. She wouldn't have been able to make sure Luke would go back because even Nellie as a little ghost child in that scene where they're all there and they're about to have a tea party and Luke is there as an adult, Nellie just keeps telling her, don't go. Just like, just to telling him to make sure he didn't sit down to not drink from that tea because if he had stayed he would have died he would have died and there would be no saving him but Nellie was there to save him and all of them the only one that she couldn't save is her father but at least at the very least he was able she was able to save the lives of her siblings and my boy Hugh also did his part he so Nellie saved her siblings, but at the end, Hugh bargained with Olivia, and what he had to offer was his life for the life of Stephen, Theo, Shirley, and Luke. And and I was sobbing when I went through this part, so you know which part I'm talking about in the episode. And at the end of the day, I think I wasn't crying because I was Sad, but because it made my little heart so happy um well I guess happy isn't the right word fulfilled but Mr. Dudley carrying a dying Mrs. Dudley across the woods so that she could die in Hill House and finally be reunited with her babies Mr. Dudley was right there are precious things in Hill House and not all of them belong to Hugh or the Cranes some also belong to them and these last few thoughts uh, didn't fall into any particular segments or into any of our two segments that we have here at that show Fuck Me Up. But, you know, I just wanted to share them because why not? I, it's my podcast. I could do whatever I want. <laughs> I feel like sometimes I want to justify me talking about things that I want to. And then I remind myself, like, I'm literally my boss. I could do whatever I want. I call the shots. So here it goes. I don't think we really take into consideration that Abigail, this five, six-year-old girl, died in a haunted house full of these scary, confusing, frightening, I, I guess scary and frightening are the same thing, but just she died in a haunted house full of other ghosts, adult ghosts, that are literally just there to fuck with other people. We do not take that into consideration. So when Mrs. Dudley makes the deal with Hugh, she is still being a mother. Even after Abigail has died and even after her firstborn has died, you nev- she never stopped being a mother because she's like, I got to look out for my for my child. I am not going to leave my child alone in this house with all these other horrible fucking ghosts that were also consumed by the house. And poor Abigail, I can't, I don't think we talk about how ghosts can be scared of other ghosts because there's like 
there's like levels, you know, not all the ghosts at Hill House are bad. Obviously, there's some that are good that just happen to die in the property. But poor Abigail, she was probably so scared. And I'm glad that, you know, when Abigail died and um, Olivia first saw her, a ghost takes her hand to like guide her like out of there. So I feel like there were ghosts that were protecting her, but I'm pretty sure she was still scared of some of the ghosts at Hill House. And another thought that I had is uh, Stephen finally being able to prove that he is the oldest. So like the oldest child by being the only one who knows what truly happened that one horrible night that his mother died. So as Hugh said, the secret is now yours. And the deal that I have with the Dudleys is now yours. And you gotta, you gotta, it's your responsibility now, basically, because he was dead. Hugh and is the only one that could have kept that deal and that secret. And now that Steven knows that falls in his shoulders, I really hope he didn't write a second book about Hill House <laughs> like he was doing in his nightmare inside the Red Room. But... Yeah, he finally got to prove himself and not even in the eyes of his other siblings, but just in like within himself, you know, like if he looked in the mirror, he would be able to say, like, I'm doing my part. I'm finally being the person that my my siblings needed me to be. And I swear this is my fine, my last and final thought, and just to wrap everything up, like I mentioned Abigail was sheltered her whole life and she still ended up dying at Hill House. And that just makes me think that sheltering your kids will not keep them safe. It will not protect them from the horrible, cruel things that are out there in the world. So you as parents, and it's, yes, take it with a grain of salt because I'm not a parent. I'm nowhere near being a parent. I have dogs. I take care of my dogs. I guess I'm pretty responsible, but just take what I'm going to say to you with a grain of fucking salt. As parents, you got to love your kids. You got to give, give them the resources for them to be successful. You got to guide them. So provide guidance and help them when needed. And that's all. That's all you got to do. And it might hurt to know that your children are out there in the world doing God knows what. But it's at it's their life, you know. At the end of the day, you did your part and you prepared your child to the best of your ability. And that's all you can do for them. Let them go out. Let them let those little birdies fly. And, you know. The rest is all confetti, as my girl Nelly would say. <sighs> and we are done with this episode, the 10th episode of The Haunting and Phil House, the 10th episode of my podcast, That Show Fucked Me Up. But don't worry, we will have one last episode to wrap up Hill House. So please, if you have any lingering questions, please send them my way. I want to be able to answer those questions that you have from my perspective, obviously. Also, I want to know how this show fucked you up. 
I mentioned this when I first started the podcast. I want to build a community of TV junkies, and I figured that the best way to do so is to incorporate your words, thoughts, feelings, ideas into the podcast. So please reach out. I'm dying to hear from you. So if you have my number, please send me a text or email me. If you have my email, or reach out via the social media. DM me through Twitter, DM me through Instagram. I'll be so happy to hear from you. Best believe, because I want to include your words into the last episode of the first season of That Show Fuck Me Up. Thank you so much for listening. I am so happy uh, to have been able to bring you this this amazing, amazing fucking show. Mwah, chef's kiss. But we've made it to the end and it's what a journey. Like I said, I always say that it's a journey, but it, it has been. So follow us on our social media. You know the drill, Twitter, that, D-A-T, show, fuck me up. Fucked is spelled F-C-K-E-D. And then on Instagram, where that show F me up, exactly how it sounds. You can follow me on my <laughs> personal Instagram accounts and Twitter accounts. Um, what am I on Instagram? I'm Mariel, uh, VC underscore 95, I think. Or my creative Instagram, Mariel underscore the underscore creative. That's where I uh, you'll be updated on everything uh, creative that I'm doing. And remember, be gentle, be kind, and don't be an asshole unless you absolutely have to be. Goodbye.